Awesome. So he said to keep it brief. He knows me too well. Um, wow, that is what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about the potential and the power of spiritual multiplication. Because evangelism is exciting. Uh, ministry is good. Making disciples is better. Uh, making disciples is exciting, is good. But multiplying disciples is where it's at. If, if this guy just led his Japanese friend to Christ and didn't equip him to share his testimony, didn't equip him to share his faith, the, the gospel could have stopped with right there. And um, that's something that we want to do. We want to do the best job. Um, how many of you have someone that you are personally discipling right now? Okay, quite a few. Wow, that's awesome. So you guys are doing the thing. You're, you're making disciples. Um, it, but I'm gonna, I've been trying to disciple people for 15 years, and I have made a lot of mistakes, okay? And so my topic tonight is the common mistakes to avoid in disciple-making. Common mistakes to avoid in disciple-making. And um, let, me, let me just jump in and pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for your love and for your grace that you get to use us that stories like this um, can, can impact us and move us to, to trust you and, and to believe you for multiplication of disciples. That's what you want. That's the way your kingdom works, is you use weak, insecure, fearful, broken people that you've healed to share your love with others and to multiply disciples. Lord, I'm, I'm still blown away that you use me the way that you do. And I pray that I would be a clean vessel for you, um, that each person in here would commit to be someone that's useful, to, that we would be clean, we would be useful vessels for the master, for you to use, um, prepared to do any good work. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I got my clock here. So um, Isaiah 43, 4, this is, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Years ago, my mentor, Max Barnett, um, he went out on, a, he was at a conference like this, and he went out and they had, they were teaching about listening to God, listening to, for God's voice. And he went out and, to have his quiet time. And he just did what he did every day was he opened his Bible reading calendar and he pulled out and he started reading and he read in Isaiah 43 and he came across this verse and it, it was as if God was saying, this verse is for you. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. And as, as Max prayed that prayer, he prayed back to God, God, I don't care about ministry success. I don't care about what uh, my career in ministry. I just want people. I want people that's lives and hearts are changed and that can go out in nations in exchange for your life. And through Max Barnett, this conference wouldn't exist if it wasn't for that promise that God gave Max. This, this conference, uh, Almost all the staff have been directly or indirectly were part of 
Max Barnett's spiritual grandchildren, <laughs> okay? And we, you guys, you probably wouldn't be sitting in this room if it wasn't for Max. Um, there's also people all around the world that are following Jesus. The IMB International Mission Board has the most missionaries. If you ask the average IMB missionary where they're from, what school they went to, it was probably the University of Oklahoma. It's just, they have sent people around the world. This video um, is, a, you may or may not have seen it, but it's a video of what God did through Max, just doing simple, reproducible disciple making um, at the University of Oklahoma. And my brother and I were the last two guys that Max discipled before he retired, but now he's doing more <laughs> than he was when he was a director. He's like running five seminary programs. I don't know exactly what he's doing, I lose track. But man, my brother and I were the last two guys he discipled, so I feel pressure, okay? Gotta, gotta do this thing right. But so let's check out this video of what God's done through Max's life. My name is Max Barnett, and I served as graduate student director at the University of Oklahoma for 37 and a half years. I knew when I came here, I wanted to raise up strong disciples. I knew I could never demonstrate what I wanted to unless we could lead people to Christ, build them up in the faith, and see them being able to reproduce spiritually. And I spent a lot of time with a few key individuals because I saw that's exactly what Jesus did. I knew that's what would fail. The early Bible study that I started was with a group of guys and I said, fellas, why don't we get in the old station wagon and let's go to the big eight schools. Let's see where they don't have a ministry. And one of those guys landed in Ames, Iowa and just began pouring his life into these people. The slow, steady, incremental growth of one disciple making two disciples, making four disciples, and that core group of people that began to disciple other people and other people and other people out of that original start in 1972, God has grown Cornerstone Church of Ames with a college ministry that gathers every Thursday night with 1,300 plus students. <laughs> wow. We've been able to plant Veritas Church in Iowa City five years ago, and then two years ago, we were able to start Kendeo Church. A couple from Oklahoma, that's our first students, moved up to Manhattan, Kansas, and in year number one, they prayed for God to give them six people that they can invest their lives in. It captivated my heart, and I just remember making a decision that I'm going to plug into this group and learn from them. God is doing great work in the heart of America at Kansas State. I really think that how he's led us to invest deeply in just a few and hold that as a value, that because of that, we're, we're seeing hundreds of lives changed. So when I came to college, I was a part of the Baptist Student Union at Oklahoma, and that really changed my perspective, being discipled personally, and realizing that my life is not about living for myself, but it's not God's me. glory, and I can do that through making disciples. When I was a freshman in college, I went to this thing called Life Impact, and someone spoke about how there were 200 college campuses in California. I was heartbroken the fact that there was only a dozen ministries at the time. So six years ago, I moved out to San Diego, and we had a vision to start a new ministry every year. And so in five years, we had started five ministries on different campuses in San Diego. And our vision is to start a ministry on every campus in San Diego. 
I see that God is still using this ministry in really tremendous ways. That the quality of leaders that are being raised up here is remarkable. By God's grace, He has raised up alumni and former staff members to plant campus ministries from Pennsylvania to California, Washington to Texas. It's just absolutely been remarkable. So God's done a work, and the name Lord. I have college ministry from the greatest mission field in the world. There are not very many places where God has dead so many people and so few acres. The future leaders of the world are on American politics today. If we want to reach the world of Christ, we have to start by reaching college students. Because college students are the most sendable, the most tangible, and the most open to the gospel of any people who If you want to change the world, the college campus is the place to go. So, it's, it's just to me, like I, I can't help but think and ask God to give me a life like Max's. When I see Max, I, I ask God to, to make me a man like him. To, to use me in, in a similar way. And our vision is continue, to continue multiplying ministries across California. About half of our new staff, we added seven new staff, about half of them are feeling God might be calling them to start new ministries in California. And so our goal is to continue multiplying. And, and these students uh, are people that we have invested in from the start. Most, like about half of them we've led to Christ. And now there's staff on staff with us. And it's amazing to see that this stuff still works, okay? <laughs> we don't need new fads. We don't need new, um, we don't need hip, cool, skinny jeans or whatever it is or tattoos or, or, or anything. We need just to keep doing the plan. God's given us a plan. Jesus gave us one plan, plan A, and that's to make disciples. And there is no plan B. There's all sorts of shortcuts you can try to take, but disciple making is Jesus's. Jesus was a genius, okay? Jesus knew that to reach the world, the only way you could reach the world was through the power of multiplication. All my life, I've been haunted by my multiplication tables. Okay, and when I was a kid, I, I hated doing those flashcards. I was like dreading that, but now I'm haunted in a different way because I know that if I just, I can see... <sighs> When the person you're discipling, I can see the world changed through that one person. And when you see the power of multiplication through the person you're discipling, it changes the way that you disciple that person. It changes the way you pray for that person. You need to believe in people and not give up for them. But notice in verse 40, in, in the Isaiah 43, 4, the last phrase I want you to underline or, or just write in your notes in exchange for your life. In exchange for your life. Because Max will be the first to tell you that he, play, he paid a tremendous price to have this ministry for, for 40 plus years. He, he went through a lot of drama, a lot of political, Baptist political stuff, who, all sorts of things. So disciple making won't cost you much. It'll just cost your entire life. <laughs> Disciple making won't cost you much. It'll just cost your entire life. So here's a few things that I have mistakes that I've made. I want to challenge you. 
it is worth it. First, before I get into the mistakes I've made, making disciples is worth it. And let me ask you another question. What else do you have to do with your life? What else can you tell me that would be better than making disciples and multiplying disciples through your life? It won't cost you much, but it will cost your entire life. I just pray for each one of you that you become a lifetime disciple maker. Your calling by God, your, your career is actually different than your calling. You've been called to make disciples. And whether you become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or you become a campus missionary, or you go overseas, you're all, you have one job, and that's to make disciples. And God will guide you, God will direct you, but at the end of the day, if I'm working at, if I'm a garbage man, I'm going to be a disciple-making garbage man at the end of my life. I, I'm going to, in the nursing home, I'm going to try to be discipling people. So here's some mistakes I've made. The first mistake goes with kind of not believing in people. It's giving up on people too soon. This is so easy to lose patience with the person that you're meeting with and to, to kind of be too selective too fast. Jesus practiced the principle of selection, but what I've noticed is there's a difference between just deep discipleship training and follow-up. Following up a new believer, you can't select a new believer. Because they're a baby. They're a spiritual baby. And so new believers are not born faithful. Okay? You actually have to train them to be fat, faithful, available, teachable. Okay? Okay, never mind. I was going to make a joke. I remember a guy that I was discipling. I led to Christ. And uh, his name is Christopher Robbins, believe it or not. Um, and that's kind of fun. But I, I let, he came from a Catholic background, and he had all sorts of whack liberal beliefs. It was, it was crazy. And so I led him to Jesus, and I started discipling him. And about every meeting, he would say something just out of the blue that was just completely heretical and just completely crazy. And I was like, yeah, I don't agree with that, but let's talk about how to spend daily time alone with God. Yeah, and, and so he was trying to almost bait me with these arguments and things. And I was like, just, and he was, he had some personality quirks that just really rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> and he would read these poems to me that he wrote. And it was just like, I just had to ask God to help me to love this guy. And you know what? God did. God gave me a love for him. And I poured my life into him. I, I invested in him. I prayed for him. And sometimes I just felt like I was holding on for dear life. <laughs> and, but a year later, actually half a year later, he came up to me and he said, Hey, you know that stuff that I said about a certain hot topic? He's like, I don't believe that anymore. I was like, what changed? He's like, the Bible. <laughs> the Bible and, and, and God's word changed the way I think about this issue. And over time, he became a leader in our ministry. He, he started leading people to Christ. He started, he was, he's one of the biggest servants I've ever met. He's like the first person to volunteer at our church for anything. He runs the, the coffee ministry at our church. Now he's an alumni. He, suppo he supports most of our staff financially. He's very generous. And this guy, I'm so glad that I didn't give up on Christopher Robbins too soon. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I love that. 
It's about love. Disciple making is about direction and affection. It's about affection. It's actually more about affection than it is about direction. If you need to, the people that you're meeting with, that you're discipling, they need to know that you love them. And you can't fake love. People can smell a fake from a mile away. And so you need to ask God to give you a genuine love for these people. Colossians 3.13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Colossians 3.13. Here's something that helps me when I'm discipling a flaky freshman. I remember how much of a punk I was when I was a freshman. And then I, when, I, when I start discipling an arrogant sophomore, a kind of cocky sophomore, I remember how cocky and arrogant I was <laughs> and how patient the Lord was with me. And I, I think through, and it's so easy to be where you are and, and, and it's so clear to you, but just to take a moment to think about you, <laughs> where you were even a, a year ago and, and be patient, be patient with those that you meet with. Um, that'll go a long way because it's worth it the joy of raising up a disciple and a disciple maker is far, far worth it um, compared to the pain and the struggle and the impatience. Third John 1, 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to see my children are walking in the truth. There is nothing better. I can tell you right now, there is nothing better than looking at the 50 people on my student leadership team and think, these are my spiritual children and spiritual grandchildren of people that I've discipled who have discipled others. And I think about Cody and Brittany Bryan, who are on staff with me. Um, they've been on staff. They helped me start the ministry. So they were the first two people that Christy and I reached on campus. Christy helped Brittany recommit her life to Christ. I started discipling Cody. They were the first two students that Christy and our two, first two faithful students students. And now they've grown so much that they challenge me. They, they, they stretch me. They, they're like, in a lot of ways, they're more godly than me. <laughs> and in a lot of ways I, I could give, I could give away the ministry to them and they could, they could run it. They could make it go. Um, that relationship I have with them is so special. There's nothing better than, than seeing God change lives over the course of time. So don't give up. But at first, Cody and Brittany, they had, especially Brittany, she was a struggle. <laughs> but, but Christy had to really hold on for dear life. But now Brittany has a downline of about 50 girls of students. She's meeting with students who's meeting with students that are, are discipling each people. So the next mistake you can make is being all business or being all fun. Being all business or being all fun. Discipling that is most effective is both, both intentional and relational. So not all discipleship relationships require the same amount of time. So for example, Max Barnett discipled my brother David and I, and it wasn't like he was just kicking it in the dorms with us all the time. He wasn't just hanging out, playing video games with us in the dorms. We had very structured times together where he had us memorizing verses. He had us listening to Born to Reproduce by Dawson Trotman. He had us doing things like that. And then he would, he would bring us into his life by inviting us over for work projects. And he would get some free labor and then he would invest in our lives. Or when we were going to a conference, we would ride together and we could grill him with questions. Um, so each discipleship relationship looks different. 
But I think a lot of discipleship relationships need a, he- a healthy dose of intentionality. You need a, 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 an intentional path. You need to be taking someone somewhere. Um, disciple making is more than just loving on people, which that's kind of a weird term anyway. So here's a good guide for discipleship. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. There's some things I see in this passage is Jesus is the focus. Jesus is who we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Jesus is who we proclaim. Teaching is our task. So he's called us to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching is our task. Maturity is our goal. That's what you want. You want to help people come to mature maturity in Christ. And God's spirit is the life changer. You're not the life changer. You're here to teach. You're here to love. It's the spirit's job to change people's lives. So in our ministry, we have a list of training objectives, we call it, where things that we want to see that students get into their lives before they move on to the next um, phase in their discipleship training. Leroy Imes, in a book, I'd actually recommend you all read this. It's called The Lost Art of Disciple Making. And Leroy Imes, uh, Brett's actually was friends with him. And um, here's a quote from his book, Lost Art of Disciple Making. In helping a young Christian grow, you need a step-by-step building program. You can develop certain objectives you want him to attain before he undertakes others. You want to see him go from taking in spiritual milk to partaking of spiritual meat. I gotta stop crying and oh, he's got the runny nose thing going on. So in our ministry, we have a tool called the Big Five and it's actually a free ebook uh, that you can see at challengecsuc.com, challengecsuc.com. And the three habits resource I, m- I mentioned earlier, um, if you go to the resource tab, there's, uh, we have a whole series of discipleship lessons and we have a whole series of college ministry resources. So challenge CSUC, oh, there it is, cool. And look for college ministry resources. So I'd encourage you to check out that. It's basically quiet time, scripture memory, Prayer, the heart attitudes, and evangelism, the three habits of everyday evangelism. You can get a good feel, and then we have some accountability questions that you can ask every week with the person that's discipling you, or the person you're discipling, or even your small group of of guys. And we had an epiphany one year at Project. We were teaching them all sorts of awesome stuff. We were doing training, we were Skyping in people that we really respected. They were learning a ton of stuff. But we noticed a few of the guys that came through our project got to the end of the summer project and they weren't having a quiet time. I'm just like, we have failed. <laughs> if, we have, if we have planned a project, we're just cramming them with information and we're doing service projects and stuff, then, and they're not having a daily time alone with God, we failed. So we need to slow down enough in our discipling to actually get these habits into people's lives. Because if you can get someone the habit of, dis, of, multi, of um, quiet time in their life from the beginning, then they can use that habit for the rest of their life. That's something that for the rest of their life, they can be, get, learn to hear from God, learn to walk with God. And so what we do, we call them training objectives, not curriculum. It's not about lessons. It's about life. 
It's about learning to take someone, get a quiet time. So if I'm teaching someone how to have a quiet time, I'm gonna, I might spend three or four weeks trying different things to help them have a quiet time. I, I'll keep them accountable. I'll, I'll ask them, I'll help show them how I do a quiet time. I'll do a quiet time with them. You wanna slow down enough to deal with people on a customized level. You wanna deal with the issues that come up. And, okay, so say you're going through this curriculum, not curriculum, training objectives. You're going through these training objectives, quiet time, scripture memory, prayer, lordship. And, and we have a series of lessons that we use to help us walk through those things. But say you, you discover this guy just started a dating relationship. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have him listen to Max Barnett's message on dating. Uh, this, I recommend there's a message by Max on dating uh, or, or I'm going to have him do some other things. I'm going to have him make their strategic plan for how he's going to date well. And I'm going to spend a couple weeks on that because I know that dating re relationship can either, either make or break his walk with God in college. So I'm not as concerned about making it through my lessons as I am about this person learning to walk with Jesus. So that's the difference between training objectives and lessons and every person's different so maybe it's pornography you got a, a lot of I hit on that really soon with guys and we start to see some real growth and change when someone's overcoming uh, an addiction to pornography so discipleship is not a linear process it's not like oh everyone's the same they cannot be mass-produced they have to be handcrafted uh, Brett yawn <laughs> so so here's some questions to ask what do you hope will be true of the person you're discipling a year from now? How about 10 years? How about 40 years? What do you want? And then build accordingly. So here's some really practical ways you can be intentional in your discipling is keep a discipleship journal. I try to write out notes about the people I'm discipling. And so you can write out what you're going through, prayers for them. So you keep a journal. It could be a page in the front of your current quiet time journal, where you just write things, whatever you feel led to write. Keep a journal. And then there's a great tool called Leadership Training Objectives by Steve Shadrach. I would recommend. You can find it at campusministry.org. It's a great tool that helps you just discern where this person needs to grow and how you can, you can help them. And then regularly ask questions that will help assess where they are at and how you can help them. So I'll ask, I'm a good question might be, what is one aspect of your character that you need to grow in? And if they have no answer to that question, then arrogance is their problem. <laughs> okay, now what's one skill that you need, would like to develop in order to serve God more effectively? What's your next step if you're gonna have a personal ministry uh, that multiplies disciples? Those are some great questions. What's your next step if you're gonna have a, grow to have a personal ministry that makes disciples? And another thing, a practical thing is use cross training, use cross training. So that means get him around godly men and women that you respect other leaders at the BCM could take them to conferences, take them, get time with all the staff, make a goal. We're going to get lunch with every single one of these staff guys and girls in the back. Um, so politically correct and girls. Okay. Use books, discipleship lessons and resources. So, so I love a quote Max Barnett says is, it's not what you can teach them, it's what you can get them to learn. So I almost like it to give them a book or a resource or something and help them discover these things for themselves and them to say, hey, I got this, I'm doing this. I'm like, I know, I, I, I got it. <laughs> and then pray for them every day. 
This is very, very important. And I, I, this sounds obvious, but it's, I'm not going to assume that you're doing this. Because you need to take them before the throne of God every single day. And, and as I've noticed, as I'm praying for those that I disciple, God gives me insight into their life. Things that I can correct them with. Things that I can encourage them with. Sometimes God even gives me something that I can say, hey, it really seems like you have this spiritual gift. Or I can empower them in some way. And then also it's just... God does stuff that you, when you pray that he doesn't do when you don't. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how it works. Don't really ask me how it works because I don't know. But I know that prayer changes things. James 4, 2b, it says, you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. And I just don't want that to be true in my life. That, that verse actually haunts me a little bit. Is, is things that I, I don't want to miss out on some blessings that God has for me because I haven't been faithful in prayer. And then the other side, so this is the intentional side. The other side is the relational side. Mark 3, 14, Jesus was the ultimate example of this. He said, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. This is called the with him principle. Jesus took people with him and he did life with them. And he, but how he did it was sowing broadly with the gospel. He, he took his men with him to go to every town and village proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing the sick and driving out demons. And they, it was a walking, talking classroom. It wasn't a lecture. It wasn't even a small group. It was on-the-job training. It was apprenticeship, what they, what they were doing. Robert Coleman, another book you got to read, Master Plan of Evangelism. I got lots of books you got to read. So, um, having called his men, Jesus made a practice of being with them. This was the essence of his training program, just letting his disciples follow him. It's good to tell people what we mean, but it's infinitely better to show them. People are looking for a demonstration, not an explanation. One living sermon is worth a hundred explanations. Discipleship at the end of the day is monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> monkey see, monkey do. They need to see discipleship lived out in your life. The way I train students to share the gospel is I bring them with me to share the gospel. I show them how and then we debrief and we discuss. But you also need to explain things on the way. These things are caught that you need to show them, but you also need to explain and fill in the gaps of their understanding along the way. Christopher Adsit, in another book you've got to read, <laughs> Personal Disciple Making, said this, It may be true that some things are better caught than taught, but other things must be taught before they can be caught. So it's a combination of teaching and demonstration that you want to have. So here's some ideas to build a deeper relationship in, with those you disciple. First thing is invite them over for a meal. Just have regular meal times with them. Invite them over to your house. If you're on staff, don't let your kids or anything distract you. Sometimes, some of my best times of really discipling people has been watching them <laughs> deal with my rebellion, my son when he's being rebellious and watching how I discipline him and how I show my son who's boss <laughs> and, and, and how I love my wife, how I, how I, they see a little tension between me and my wife and they see how we clear that up and, and they, they see when you invite people into your real life, then there is a chance to show them not only the holiness, how you can walk in holiness and integrity, but how you can confess sin and clean up messes when you make them. 
because I make plenty of those. Um, the next thing is take them on road trips. No, no better way to, to bond with your chill bros than to take a road trip, okay? Um, ask them to do everyday life stuff, studying, shopping, cooking. If you're going to the grocery store, bring the person you're discipling. Take an interest in their hobbies. Um, go to their play if they're in the school play. Do fantasy football with them just so you can talk, talk shop. Go on a summer mission trip together or do Chico, I mean, Gainesville project together. Like be, do that together. Um, that's a best, that's, I've grown so close to people. Come with me is better than you should go. So if you want someone to go on a mission trip, say, hey, come with me to Germany. We're gonna go on this mission trip and it's gonna, we're gonna be used by God to see lives change. And then the most thing that, that have drawn me to those that I've discipled is we labor among the lost together. As we're on the dorm hall trying to reach our peers, like those guys were the guys that were in my wedding. Those guys are, we had such a bond and a connection with. And all this sounds like a lot of work, right? It's because it is. <laughs> Remember, disciple making won't cost you much. It'll just cost your entire life. And you can't disciple 20 people in this way. Okay, you have to select, you have to have a few that you really are pouring your life into. And what I say is you, you want to move with the movers. You want to pour your most time into those that are most hungry and most faithful. And you love everyone, but like Jesus, you love everyone, but you invest in the few. So the, the next mistake a lot of people make is not asking the person discipling you for specific advice on how to disciple well. So I, I get this weird impression with a lot of our students that they think they have to figure out everything, like reinvent the wheel, literally, like uh, in discipleship. And, and we're like, dude, just come. You have all these staff that can help you figure out what to do next. And so the, one, the people that are most effective in discipling are the ones that say, hey, I'm meeting with this guy. Every week they're meeting with me. They say, hey, I'm meeting with this guy. And he's struggling with this, and this is going on. What do you think I should do? And a lot of times, I've run into that before. And so I'm like, hey, here's what's helped me. And I get to guide them on. Proverbs 12, 15. A fool thinks he needs no advice, but a wise man listens to others. And then Harold Bullock, another one of my mentors, says teachability is the only sh shortcut to success in life. So are you a teachable person? Are you an aggressively teachable person? The next thing is assuming that they get it more than they do or are further along than they actually are. The heart is deceptively, deceptively wicked and is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 7, 19. You don't get what you expect. You get what you inspect. You don't get what you expect. You get what you inspect. I'm skipping a couple of verses. <laughs> so try to hang with me, PowerPoint guys. Um, you don't get what you expect, you get what you inspect. And I remember when Max Barnett was meeting with my brother and I, he had us memorize this acrostic, glorify the Lord. And I remember I had this noble ambition in my heart not to be the twin that didn't have his verse memorized. <laughs> okay, that was, my, that was my goal. And you know what? God's word is sneaky. Because even though my motives were mixed, I was memorizing God's word. And over the course of five or six verses, those verses started to transform the way I thought, and my life was totally changed just by those basic spiritual disciplines of getting God's word into my heart and getting God's word into my life. And so it's, it may start with them 
you keeping them accountable. And even my staff guys, I still ask them how their quiet times are doing. I still ask my staff guys how their thought life is doing. I still ask all the guys on staff about the basic spiritual. You never move on from the basics. The next thing is being too nice, not practicing biblical correction, and not calling them forward to a deeper commitment to Christ. That's a huge one. Proverbs 28, 23. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. It's actually unloving to see something in someone's life, a sin in someone's life, or something that, that they need to grow in and not to tell them. I think the giving and receiving scriptural correction is one of the forgotten values that the American church has just left behind. And our culture is just like, who are you to say that? And like, but no, we have the best way that we can grow is to help one another and correct one another. Hebrews 13.3 says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 3.13. Sin is very sneaky. Okay. Very, very sneaky, sir. Okay. It's very sneaky. And I, I, I think the scary thing about being deceived is that you don't know it. It says sin's deceitfulness. And so the people that you're discipling may have a blind spot that they don't see. That's the definition of a blind spot. And so they need someone to speak into their life. And also people might have blind spots about their strengths too. Like when my, my dad told me one time, he said, now college ministry might be a good calling for you. I can see this in your life. And that was like, I, it was very encouraging, very helpful for me. So if you're wondering what to do with the person, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 is a great passage to kind of a grid to run through what category does the person I'm discipling fall in. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So if you're wondering what to do, answer the question, which one of these people, what, are, what is the person I'm discipling? So a lot of people are idle. They need to be admonished. A lot of people are faint-hearted. They need to be encouraged. A lot of people are weak. They need, you need to be patient with them. So you need, oh, they, no, they need to be helped. You need to be patient with everyone. The weak need to be helped. Okay? So the next mistake that you can avoid, I pray you will, is helping people with spiritual stuff only and not the practical, everyday stuff of life. If you're discipling someone Life is an integrated reality. Life, like school matters. Life is not like separated between sacred and spiritual. How someone studies, how someone, uh, their personal hygiene, um, all those things are interrelated to who they are as a person. Um, and so you want to train someone to be effective, not only in spiritual things, but in life. 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. A key phrase is faithful in this. Someone that's faithful, not just in quiet times, but in studying, in work. Someone that, that takes care of their money, faithful in how they handle their money. Um, faithful in every area of your life. You want to train them to do, that, to do that. And then another phrase in there is able to teach. So if you want to have someone that's reproducing, they don't have to be able to give a conference message, but they have to be able to have enough social skills 
that they can relate to someone, they could do a gospel appointment, they can lead someone to Christ, they can disciple that person. And so right now, I'm working with one of my, one of my staff guys on his people skills. I'm having, I'm having him listen to how to win friends and influence people. And, and, and we're talking about that and how body language and, and using people's names and things like that. And so you can train, you want to train leaders, you want to train people that not just know how to do spiritual things, but the practical everyday stuff of life. And so a great tool in that is Leadership Training Objectives by Steve Shadrach. I already mentioned that earlier, but that's a good tool. The next thing is feeling like you need to be fair with every person that you're discipling. That each person needs the same amount of your time. That's just not true. Jesus didn't do it. You don't need to do it either. We love everyone equally, but there's only a few people that we can disciple deeply. We love everyone. We invest. We sow broadly with the gospel. We share the gospel with, if they're breathing, they need, they need Jesus. And so I'm going to sow broadly with the gospel to them. But the people that I train are ones that I want to see reproduce and, and pour into others. Proverbs 20, verse 6 said, Many a man claims unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. If you find a faithful person, someone that really does what they say they're going to do, you want to pour your life into them. Because you can work with that. I can work with a faithful person. I can work with a teachable person. But I can't work with an arrogant person or an undisciplined person. I mean, I can try at first if it's a new believer. But over time, the people you really pour your life into, you move with the movers. And over time, those people are going to disciple others who are going to disciple others. And then the last thing is focusing your, losing your focus on multiplication as the goal. This is the goal. At the end of the day, we're not just here to make disciples. We're here to multiply disciples. Mark 4, 8. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Multiplication doesn't happen by accident. It must be intentionally pursued. It has to be something that you are intentionally investing in them for, praying for them, and you are pouring into their life with the vision of multiplying your life. What I want to encourage you to, I want to plead with you, don't be guilty of what I call dead-end discipleship. Okay? Dead-end discipleship. That's when just Christians meet with Christians to make them more Christian. And they just kind of, it's, it's this cul-de-sac of the Great Commission Highway. Um, my friend Brian Zuniga put it this way. He said, discipleship without evangelism is not discipleship. It's actually recycleship. Because spiritual multiplication has to happen, meaning the, your, your person you're equipping has to be equipped to the point that they can reach non-Christians and they can lead people to Christ. So that means evangelism has to be a key component in how you're discipling. We need laborers who have the, the vision of John Wesley, who said, I mean, George Whitfield, who said, oh God, give me souls or I die. We, we, need, we need laborers who have the vision, the, the passion and the desire to do whatever it takes to reach lost students. And so you, it changes the way you disciple. It changes the way you train people. When your vision is spiritual multiplication, it changes the way you disciple that person. It's not, it's not anymore, we're going to war. This is not peacetime. This is war. And, and there's eternal realities at stake. There's eternal, people's eternal souls are hanging in the balance. And we cannot afford 
to hide behind the guise of discipleship if it's not expanding God's kingdom, if it's not helping those without Christ come to know him. So, so I, pray, I plead with you, and I think you look up Matthew 9, 36, the problem is not for, with the harvest. The problem is a lack of laborers. So are you a laborer? Are you praying for laborers on a regular basis? And are you working to raise up laborers underneath you? I'm going to close with a few practical things um, about becoming a reproducer. At the beginning of every discipleship relationship, start praying together for your lost friends and family. Start praying together for these people. Uh, we have a tool, Three Habits for Everyday Evangelism, you, and the Personal Ministry Target Worksheet that you can use. Um, it's all on that website. Take them with you to do gospel appointments. You want to make sure everything you do is simple and easy to reproduce. You don't want them to walk away from your discipleship meetings thinking, oh, wow, I could never do that. You want them to think, oh, that's it? Even I could do that. Um, as you're training a student, you want to infuse the vision of multiplication into everything that you're doing. So when I'm teaching someone how to memorize scripture, or when I'm actually when I'm teaching a guy how to have a quiet time, I teach him the SOAP method. And I'll say, now this is a great tool, not only for you to use, but when you're discipling someone, you'll get to use this with someone else. And then he's like, what? Oh, I'm, I'm like, okay, let me share the vision of discipleship with you. And I infuse that into everything I do. And I pray regularly that God will raise up the people I'm discipling into laborers. And then provide coaching and training once they start discipling. So I want to encourage you, don't stress about seeing a movement overnight. Because multiplication takes time. But if you can get one, if you can get one faithful man or woman and that, that really is about a laborer, you have someone that's, that can change the world. Dawson Trotman said, it's not how many men, but what kind of men. It's not how many men, it's what kind of men. And I'm going I'm to close with a quote from Robert Coleman. And for me personally, this verse, I'm not, this is not a biblical passage, sorry. Um, this this section, this, this section means a lot to me because honestly, as a ministry leader, I'm sometimes tempted to pursue ministry ex success in, in, in spite, um, against truly multiplying disciples. And so I, I, I pray for all of us that we would choose multiplying disciples over looking good in the eyes of the world or even in the ministry world. Um, we, would, we would focus on what matters most. So let's check this out. Making disciples will be slow, tedious, painful, and probably unnoticed by people at first. But the end result will be glorious, even if we don't live to see it. We must decide what we want our ministry to count. In the momentary applause of popular recognition, or in the reproduction of our lives, in a few chosen people who will carry on the work when we have gone. Let me pray. Father, we're so humbled that we get to be used by you. We get to be a part of what you're doing in individuals' lives. But you're not just concerned about that. You're concerned about using the people that we're investing in to impact others, to impact others. And I pray that literally thousands of people would, in, would come into the kingdom as a result of the people in this room. That the multiplication effect 
you would work your plan through our lives and that we would be usable instruments for you and that we would be effective disciple makers and we would um, not be content with the status quo in any of these areas, in our prayer lives, in our evangelism and in our disciple making and then our heart for the nations that everything we do would be fueled towards the, the unreached, those that have never heard about you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.